Each movie more impressive than the last on Better Buddies. Hello, and welcome back to Better Buddies. I'm your host, RJ. With us this week, it's James. Hello. Our Better Buddies icebreaker this week. What percentage of the time do you feel like your opinions are right? Mm-hmm. Um, probably, probably more than I should, <laughs> is the safe answer. Um, yeah. But I would also... I would also honestly bet, like, I don't know how to say this, more than I should, but uh, I don't know how to say it, less than I would think, I guess. Like, I, I think you're, I think most people are more right than they often think they are. I but, think my opinions yeah. are 75 to 80% right. Oh, like all opinions across the board? Like, we're just saying in general. Okay. Green is the correct color. Oh, oh, I see. So we're getting real. We're getting real opinionated. We're getting real personal here. It's all opinions. Just what percentage of the time do you feel like your opinions are right? I feel like my opinions are the right ones a lot of the time. Okay. I mean, it's that or I face the ever spiraling doom uh, black hole that is nothing matters it's all relative and no one wants to no no one has any concern about what i think so what have i been doing for the last three years on this show yeah that's also but isn't that doesn't that James, um is that it's either yeah. i consider i either have to have the confidence of a mediocre white man or mm-hmm. i just spiral yeah uh, this is fair I mean, this is this is an apparent duality. However, I would I would like to make the wager, the proposition that maybe it could could one make the case that that seeming abyss of uh, of uh, nihilism, I guess, or apathy, derived from a perceived lack of any real consequence to choice, is that. Is that not an abyss, a gulf we all must cross and on the other side awaits true salvation and life? I hope so. What <laughs> else is there? I've been reading Nietzsche, so that's that's uh we're we're spitting some some old nineteenth uh, century bullshit at you. Yeah, I don't know. I mean I think uh yeah, I think I think you're pretty usually pretty spot on. I think you have good intuition, better than you give yourself credit for. I would say. Honestly, my gut is usually pretty good. Like I was, I was mostly joking before. Like, mm-hmm. obviously, opinions are opinions. Like, people are gonna have different favorite fucking colors or different foods or what goes good on food, that kind of shit. But like, my my gut reaction when it comes to like advice and stuff is typically pretty decent. I get, I'm at, I, my opinions are right at minimum 50% of the time. Hey, that's, I think that's, uh, that's basically the best you can do, you know? 
That's the best thing everybody's going to hope for, really, is 50-50. If you just get there, you're pretty good. You're pretty set. Yeah. That's fair, though. And if you think your opinions are right 100% of the time, you're delusional. Yeah, one can make the case that by definition, they literally cannot be right 100% of the time. Um, So, yeah. I don't know. I would. I, I think for me, I'm gonna say. I think my opinions are usually right. I think my like gut opinions are usually right about seventy five percent of the time. Maybe, at the most, maybe even close to like eighty five. But the problem is, if I'm like, if I'm right, I'm usually pretty right. But if I'm wrong. <laughs> I'm usually like really wrong. So like it's either like dead oh, on no. exact bullseye or it the arrow isn't even on the fucking target. It's it's way off in the woods somewhere, you know? So um I don't really know how to split that difference, but yeah. I don't think I I disagree with that on mine. I just thinking of my own uh, opinions and things like I don't feel like my uh, accuracy split is that wide. I uh, how so? I mine just from my personal experience. I feel mine is what. Do, what do you think? Your if you're comparing your opinions to like a bullseye, like what would you say? Your I yeah, I guess your average is in think, that sense. I think my accuracy. I I at least hit the target. Like I always hit the target. How close to the bullseye I am varies, but I never miss the target, or I very rarely miss the target. Like if you if you if my opinions were in the cop show when they go to the range and they fire at the uh paper target of the body to be like oh haha can you get the shots uh I'm not always hitting the body but I am hitting the paper. There's something you said for that. There's uh yeah must must feel good must be nice. It is. Yeah, nerd. I know. Uh, Go to the archery range more. Uh, I know. I really should. I got to get into more debates. Is what I got to do. I got to find more people to argue with online. I personally then, prefer in-person argument. And in person. Like, That's true. Online, argument. People are- online argument is bad and dumb, and it makes me mad. Oh, man. Yeah, it is it is like impossible. I will say it's almost impossible to win one. Like, I don't know if you can actually truly... You no can't. one, I mean, you're both sitting at a computer, so you're automatically losers. <laughs> but Damn. but within the context, that. within those parameters, who is the less of the loser? I guess who is the bigger, cooler loser in the world of losers, which has since engulfed our entire... Well, our, the uh, problem with least, any oh, kind of argument online is what all anyone has to do to screw you over is just to repeat the same points over and over and over and over and over and over again and deny, yeah. deny, deny that they have said those points. Yeah, but that's hard because there's your written record. It doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Because when you're debating online, the only way for there to be an outcome that is not everyone gets angry and leaves is for one person to concede to the other. And... 
it's at that point it's not a matter of are you arguing in good faith are you arguing with accurate information it's can you out endurance the other person so they give up interesting yeah i can see that i think you're i think that's i think that uh, that's a pretty accurate um i'd say about 60 to 75 percent or so because i would say the, the other way to end them is to diffuse it by searching for a compromise if it can be found well, the um, difference between online and in person too is, in person you have all the non-visuals, and it's typically somebody you at least know a little bit. Mm-hmm. Whereas online, it's a fucking stranger. You don't care about that person. Yeah, it's a federal agent or some some Other federal some agent. AI. Yeah, some AI embedded deep in the federal deep in the New Mexico bedrock. Yes. Or other federal AI. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's a federal agent or an AI or a it, federal AI. Yeah, it's it could be all three. Um, some sort of bizarre Akira ghost of the shell sort of situation with the men in black. I, I will say, like, I do think uh, I've gotten in a few online arguments in my day and age, and I do find them useful because it's like, they're almost more the simulation of an argument than they are an actual argument because all you're right. Like all reality is stripped of them by nature of the context with which they take place. And yeah, I don't know. I think that's the problem too with the internet is like, in my opinion, it has obliterated, it has obliterated like the power or the need for like sources because the it's completely leveled like the it's uh, no source retains its own authority anymore like there is no variable terrain it is like one flat like All you have starting to say is, i saw an article yeah and then you google like, article and there will be articles on that thing yeah i do think in a way though that is like that is interesting because it means that Every argument becomes every debate now is more an aesthetic debate. Like I don't mean that just because my my historic and at times stereotyped uh, penchant for the word. I mean aesthetic is in like it's it's like um it, it, like the focus of the debate becomes uh, on the it, it starts to focus more on the feeling or the subtext of what is being said versus like the raw facts, which like raw data and facts and sources are critical to furnishing an argument. But the other half of it is like, can you make it like, is the feeling underneath it? Correct. And I think that's what we miss sometimes is like, like your, your feeling and your, like what you're sort of projecting through your argument that needs to be like, I don't know. Correct isn't the right word, but it needs to be sort of, it needs to find a groove with other people as well. Yeah. It doesn't Um, matter how much accurate information you have. If people don't like the way you're telling them it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You got to find a way to make it translatable. More body paint. More body paints. Yep. Maybe a little tooth, toothbrush, mustache, brown shirt, some really snazzy graphic design. 
and uh, stop that. You stop that. And you, you Shut can, you know, I actually James, heard if no, you get bad. thrown in prison, nope, you no, have a lot of no, time to no, think into writing, no, you know? No, so. no, 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 Are you oh, done? Damn. No. We broke, no. we broke him. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Uh, bad joke. Uh, Too tired. Uh, sorry. Too sleepy, t- <laughs> Too sleepy cast. Uh, that's, I, I go to that well People would lot. like paint all their information on their arms and legs and chest, and then take photos. And yeah, and then I joke Nazi joke that that they should be all become Hitler. Which, in an era of pure aesthetics, in an era where where known facts are are but myths and whispers in the wind, are we all not in some way our own little Adolfs running no. around? I'm not. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Maybe you're just not angry enough. I try not to be. You know, but think though. Think like this is what I like to. I think it's just, I've said this before, but I'll say it again. Like, what if like what if what if, <laughs> what if Hitler was actually like a really cool guy? Like, like I'm not saying like oh, what if he was actually awesome. I'm saying like what if like. Why do we get stuck in the universe where the guy, a guy like that is evil? Like, why don't we get it? Why aren't we in the universe where a guy like that is actually like super chill and really cool and doesn't want to kill anybody, but just has like so a really great mul- talent? You want to speaking. live in the multiversal variant where Hitler was promoting the Jews and was like, hey, peace and harmony, brothers. Yeah. Yeah, I wanna I wanna live in the world where the Nazis won and it was a good thing. No, 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 no. <laughs> you know exactly no. what I'm saying with that. You know exactly. No, I don't care what, what you're exactly that. saying with that. The words you used were bad. Don't it's use all about those the words subtext, that. RJ. No, we can say even, that without even... using that combination of words in a soundbite. I. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Rip, rip. Rip it right from the womb of context. Please don't. You, 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 you whalers. Please don't. I like speech. having a job. Um, no, I mean, yeah, but, but what you said, um, about the Nazis being right and stuff, like basically, yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> no, I, I, but I do wonder that. Like, I wonder, like, why often are those and i mean we have examples of religious figures but like why in the 20th century alone did we have like three to four major like major world leaders who were like notorious demagogues and they were just all evil like they were all evil i guess we had i I mean what do you who, who are the four you're referring to I'm thinking of like I guess I'm thinking of like uh, I'm thinking of Hitler. I'm thinking of Stalin. I'm thinking of Mussolini, and I'm thinking of Mao is what I'm thinking. What of. is like the other thing they all have in common? Authoritarian rule is True. what I would say. I was thinking more revolutions. They all had revolutions, and they stepped in and filled the power vacuums. I mean, mm. not the. I don't know how revolutionary people would consider what happened to Germany, but I would argue it was considering the shit that went down that to get him into power. Yeah, it was, it was a revolution. Like, like for sure. At the very he least, wasn't it was a very, suppo- he was, he almost had enough votes to just get elected into power. 
And then Mm -hmm. the people who did not want him in power told the standing president that a lot of people liked, like, hey, could you just do, like, one more term? Just do one more term, please, so we can get rid of this guy. So he's not in power. And he's like, yeah, yeah, all right, I'll do one more term. And then he died in office. Oh, man. Yeah, he got a lucky break. Did he? The guy who died? Well, well he's eternally known as the guy break. who couldn't stop Hitler, so. Yeah, well, a lot of people are, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> Tell that to all of France. Yeah, they tried. They did their best. They were tired. They were too. They were Austria, like Austria, France, Poland, Switzerland. Actually, Switzerland did all right. Uh, I'm thinking Sweden, Denmark. Sweden, Denmark, Norway. A decent for a while. Just a bit of Russia, parts uh, of Africa. Uh, is there anything uh, between? No, there's nothing between France and Spain. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man, he really kind of he really had him in that first half, didn't he? He he really got people pretty fucking freaked out, um, and for good reason. Uh, well, it's but, the, everybody saw it was coming. Like, it's just no one else on the planet believed them. That a lot has of people to in the be, country didn't believe him either. That has to be one of the worst feelings. Like you're literally watching like Jack boots, like march down the streets and like seeing people get like bricks thrown through the, like the front windows of their houses, their businesses. And people are just like, Oh my God, did you see the Olympics? They were amazing. (laughs) That happened though. Like, I know I'm saying that's horrific. That's horrifying. And that was like one of the big points in the Olympics was like, I'm pretty (laughs) sure like, because of Hitler's, like, racist views and shit, I think, I, I only vaguely remember the, the history on it, but there was an Olympic mm-hmm. runner who basically got told, like, dude, if you want to leave Germany alive, lose. And he was an African-American runner, and he said, fuck that, and c- destroyed them all. Yeah, Jesse Owens. Yeah, that's the one. Good old J.O. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just like, but it's it's still like, um, I mean, I wonder what it would feel like to be that guy, to be like Jesse. Like, there had to be a moment when he was on the podium, maybe, maybe, where he just for a second met Hitler's eyes. And that was probably the moment I'm where, sure like... I'm pretty sure he got an invite. I'm pretty sure like, Hitler, to, like, wanted to talk to, to him To go meet him? yeah. Really? God, That's fascinating. I think that was part of it too, was he turned it down. Wow. I think. Don't quote me. I'm wow. I'm a historian. I mean, I could definitely see that as being, uh, not to be too radical or whatever, but that could be very much, I'm sure, like, people joke about how, uh, man, the, the historical parallels are, are somewhat funny. I I'm, I'm promise I'm not trying to be too edgy here, but, like, you know how people joke how when... Uh, when Trump was at one of those White House correspondence dinners and like Obama was up and he was making a bunch of jokes and he spent like five minutes just like making, I think it was he, him who spent like five minutes just like making fun of like Trump or something. And then like the next summer, Trump announces that he's like running for, um, you know, for president. And we all know what happened after that. Um, it, <laughs> I, something in me wonders if that moment, 
like for Hitler. I mean, his shit was already emotion, but seeing that guy take the number one spot and just basically like, um, cause the thing is, is he couldn't say anything. Like no one knew that Germany was in the clutches of like an evil, like racially motivated, you know, kind of like blood cult. Like they just knew that Germany looked really clean and nice. So Hitler had to look a little sort of like, you know, whatever. But I bet like looking at that guy, he was like, he must have been uh, fucking so furious. For because Jesse Owens got four gold medals at the Olympics. Uh, at the long jump victory, Hitler shook hands with the German victors only and then left the stadium. Uh, which after which the International Olympic Committee president insisted Hitler greet every medalist or none at all. Uh, Hitler opted for the latter and skipped all further medal presentations. Um, Dude, what? Are you serious? Yeah. Oh my god, what a baby. In the... When they won on day two, Hitler did not publicly congratulate any medal winners. Um... Even so, the communist New York City newspaper, The Daily Worker, claimed Hitler received all the track winners except Johnson and left the stadium as a deliberate snub after watching Johnson's winning jump. Uh, Hitler was subsequently accused of failing to acknowledge Owens, who won gold medals on August 3rd and 4th and 9th, or shake his hand. Owens responded to the claims that Hitler had a certain time to come to the stadium and time to leave. It happened he had to leave before the victory ceremony after the 100 meters because of when the race began. But before he left, I was on my way to a broadcast and passed near his box. He waved at me and I waved back. I think it was a bad taste to criticize the man of the hour in another country. Interesting. So he was genuinely courteous to the guy. Owens was. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Owens like actually extended um, like quite a bit of a benefit of the doubt. Owen's success of the games caused consternation for Hitler, who was using them to show the world a resurgent Nazi Germany. They hoped the German athletes would dominate the games. Uh, Hitler was highly annoyed by the series of triumphs by the marvelous colored American runner Jesse Owens. Yeah, that's... uh, It is a fascinating sort of, like... That's like a fascinating little moment in history. I I'm I know that there have been movies on it. I would love to just see a movie that's more like just looking at that Olympic Games as like a sustained event. Fuck and maybe not FDR. even following necessarily one story. Franklin Delano Roosevelt never invited Jesse Owens to the White House following his triumphs at the Olympic Games. Really? Not even during the war? Nope. And because of the racism and segregation happening in America, uh, there was a ticker tape parade for Owens when he got back to the States, but after the parade, he was not permitted to enter through the main doors of the Waldorf Astoria and was forced to travel up to the reception, honoring him in a freight elevator. Oh my god, dude. bastards. That's, That's horrible. That's pretty shitty. That is, like, that is the bizarre thing of it, too, is, like, you had, you had America... You know, kind of like blazing through France and Germany well, near the end that. of the war. No, I'm just I, I'm saying like as even as we were winning the war, like we fought this war against like tyranny, 
and a prejudiced evil. And this is not a hot take. People have talked yeah. about this before, but it is just kind of interesting to think where it's like, you know, they went back to a country that for the next, that wouldn't allow some people like barely let them in the military or yeah, or to go to the same schools or in the same live in the same neighborhoods for the next nearly 20 years. That's kind of insane. And meanwhile, in Nazi Germany, the African-American runner was in the same hotel as the white ones, which is like, damn, that is not great when America was not doing better than the literal Nazis. Yeah, when the Nazis are teaching you little micro lessons in tolerance, that's when you should probably take note. Um, by the way, speaking of World War II, I finally did it. I finally saw both Barbie and Oppenheimer. Hey. Um, so now well, our next f- segment is Better Buddies Recommend, where we recommend a piece of media to enjoy. Barbie and Oppenheimer, go. Spoiler alert uh, for Barbie st- and Oppenheimer. <laughs> Spoiler alert for Barbie and Oppenheimer. So I'm going to recommend. Yeah. Yeah. There's a good chance we're going to talk about it for the rest of the episode for sure. Um, Yeah. Barbie and Oppenheimer. Um, uh, Let's start with Oppenheimer. Okay. I thought Oppenheimer was the better made film. Oppenheimer. uh, I went to go see these movies with my stepsister. And um, I like. She put it away that I I thought was very accurate. I've kind of compared Nolan's movies to other things before. She said watching Oppenheimer was like reading Jane Austen. Uh, Like it's a very uh, it's a very dense and literary movie. Like his 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 movies really do feel like novels almost. Like there's it feels like there's a lot going on. I do think sometimes they go on obviously a little too long. Um, and there's always so much dialogue that I, I don't really understand like what's always going on because all these characters like are talking. It's very yeah, it's very era specific and it's like cutting very quickly and you're like, all right, like I get the general impression. Um But I, I do think Oppenheimer was the better made, not in the sense that Barbie is poorly made, but in the sense that it just felt a little more polished and felt a little cleaner uh it felt a little more a little a little more coherent kind of and that might just be my bias towards nolan um having seen quite a few of his movies and having seen really only one i think of greta gerwig's i don't even know if she directed the one that i'm thinking of um but i liked oppenheimer Quite a bit, actually. Um, I saw it. I saw Barbie and then Oppenheimer. So I saw kind of the classic uh, viewing. And I'm glad I saw Oppenheimer uh, second. Um, but overall, uh, really cool. Really solid. Sorry, you said you saw polished. Oppenheimer first or second? I saw it second. Oof. Did you see it first? I saw Oppenheimer first. Whoa. I went to Oppenheimer right. and turned right around to go see Barbie. Wow, what was your experience then? It was... I think it was a good primer. But I really, uh... I had been advocating for the Barbie first. But with Oppenheimer, it was like, okay, sat down, enjoyed Oppenheimer, enjoyed the black and white movie within a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if I'd seen Barbie first, I would have been primed for comedy and would not have taken Oppenheimer seriously. 
Because you remember in Oppenheimer when Einstein walks out from behind the car to, like, talk to him? Mm-hmm. How long did Einstein have to be there to hear that part of the conversation? Like, Einstein had to just be crouching behind that car. So that the guy, they could have, he could hear the conversation, they'd have their conversation, the guy gets in the car and drives away, and Einstein begins walking forward with the book. I'd like to imagine that he was doing that. Yeah. That you... <laughs> I see what you're saying. It's... And then, like, it's funny. All the times where, um, what was her name? Florence Pugh. Like, yeah. particularly when they're in the, like, hearing, talking about when Cillian Murphy's character, like, Oppenheimer went back to have sex with Florence Pugh's character... And yep. they're in the scene where they're talking about it in the, like, little interrogation thing, and his wife is doing the imagining thing of, like, seeing Florence Pugh on him right then and there. Yeah. And it was just kind of like, alright, I don't know that we needed that. Oh, I thought, I actually thought that was great. I thought that was, like, a really great, very visceral sort of, um... Definitely visceral. Like, visual. Um... What did, yeah, what did you, did you, so did you like Oppenheimer? Like, what did you think of it, I guess, as a film overall? Overall, I thought it was good. Uh, I kind of liked the, in the, like, movie within a movie, black and white thing going with Robert Downey Jr.'s character. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, his performance was amazing. He did so good. Robert Downey Jr. is, is fantastic in Oppenheimer. I loved him. Like, I think a lot of people be between Iron Man, Sherlock Holmes, and then the failure that was Doctor Doolittle. Uh, people are like, "Oh, uh, Danny Junior just runs around saying semi crazy shit, and then that's all he does." Mm-hmm. It's like, no, he can play very like. I didn't realize he was gonna be a antagonistic force until it like the reveal happened, and I was like, "Oh shit." Yeah, his I I was uh, I was much the same way. His turn was incredible. I did that one aide though, who he was like primarily talking to, who kept bringing stuff mm-hmm. up. I was like, "You're you're working for somebody, friend. You know, you're saying a lot of things that make it sound like you're a brand new aide, but I I think you know more than you're letting on. Somebody Let's talk about." Oh, wait, keep going. Like keep somebody, going. you, you know, you know exactly what you're doing. Yeah, I thought that guy was a fed. Are you talking about Alden Ehrenreich's character? I don't know the actor. I just know he was like the assistant to Robert Downey Jr.'s character, who was like the primary one talking to him and like helping him. Yeah, and the saying guy like, "Hey, Hans. we got this. We're this. Is the like, if we got these things, it'll be up next." And Junior's character was like, "No, this is how this works." The guy who played uh, Han Solo. Oh, is that him? Yeah, it's him. Oh, neat. Yeah. 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 I thought he did really good, and I was like, oh, you're, you played the game, friend. You knew it was, like, you didn't, you maybe didn't know what was about to happen, but you knew exactly how to get him talking and admitting and destroying his own reputation. Yeah, it, the movie did a really good job at weaving together all these different stories and questions of motivation um i think with people um i i actually said this both about barbie i think i think the only thing that i recommend for both 
was I had wished that both of these movies had one scene where the characters aren't doing anything related to the plot. Like nothing. I wish they'd had one scene like five minutes long, like a scene in Oppenheimer where everyone is, it's a day off at the base and everyone is just like, it's a picnic. I know they had the Christmas party, but there's still a lot of plot stuff going on. And a lot of cheating. Like, yeah, a lot of a lot of scandals God, happening. During, Keep it in your fucking during, pants. Yeah, man. Um, well, because he wasn't supposed to have slept with that blonde woman, right? He, or, he yes. didn't sleep with her. But, but it, they thought he did. They thought he did. Something. The rumor was spread that he did. And it was, I mean... I'm trying to remember it because it was a couple weeks ago, but I'm pretty sure he was like implying that he wanted to. All right, here's a question: Are you uh, are you more of a Gene man, or are you more of a? I can't even. I can't remember Emily Blunt's character's name. Was it Millie? Winnie? It was like some very '40s esque name. Um, are you talking Emily Blunt or Florence Pugh? Yeah. Well, which? Yeah. Well, I guess are you? Uh, are you a? Uh, uh, a Florence man or an Emily man? Physical attraction or actual character type? Uh, I'm, those are two I'm different answers. Say, really? Well, I want to say both. I want to like you. Just you got to pick one. Like you just got to pick Emily one. Blunt. Oh, overall, Emily Blunt's whole character that in the movie, not Emily Blunt, the actress. Like uh, actresses are all attractive in some way, shape, or form because they're they generally hire attractive people to be actors and actresses as stated in Barbie. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, for much. So, so overall the whole, like of the two characters that were presented, Emily Blunt's character was the one I preferred intelligent questioning. Frankly, I Oppenheimer was a goddamn moron. Like you, you, this, <laughs> you, this, that's all. How do you not want need anymore? Build. But also, like, Emily Bones' character is like, alright, girl, you you fucking you fucking cheated on your husband with this guy. What do you think he was gonna do? Like, come on. What about you? What's your answer? Oh, I'm a Florence man. I, you got me. Honest, <clears throat> a lot mm-hmm. more uh, nude Florence Pugh than I was expecting in the film. I was expecting yeah, 0%. I, yeah. I, like, I the first time it happened, I was like, oh! Yeah. Okay. That's that's two more tit scenes than I was expecting today. The fact that like (laughs) I apologize to be so vulgar, but the fact that the first time he says I become death destroy the worlds is when he nuts. That was fucking hilarious. (laughs) It is so like I didn't laugh in the theater, but it's like like I'm watching it. I honestly thought that scene was kind of hot. Did, like I thought it, it was like Oh yeah, it was hot. But like does it get said at any other point in the movie? I don't think it does. I, I honestly don't think I it does. I don't remember it like, being said I, at any other point. So the only time that this really devastating line of that has been associated with Oppenheimer this in like and the lead up to the movie, all the marketing and shit and all the hype online is like I am death destroyer of world. I am become death destroyer of worlds. And it's while Mar- uh, Florence Pugh is on top of him, buck ass naked. Yeah, yeah, making him and read he's it. Summarizing in goddamn uh, Arabic, 
Uh, Aramaic. He's Aramaic. reading. He's My reading apologies, Aramaic. Yeah. And she's like, no, literally read it. Yeah, he's got like a very old copy of the Bhagavad Gita that's in the original like Aramaic or Sanskrit or whatever yeah. the. It's, 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 it's not. Uh, he said, it's he said not it's Aramaic. Roman, uh, or the English script. Yeah, it's a, it's not translated. But if you think about it, I didn't actually realize until now. If you think about it, it actually that's actually fascinating because it's funny that the first time he says it is when he's fucking busting. But uh, if you think bomb, about it, say. dropping uh, dropping a uh, dropping the load. This <laughs> one might say the payload. The payload. <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, uh, if you think about it, um, it's actually like if we're if we're taking our minds out of the gutters um like it actually completely recontextualizes the line because one of the big prevailing themes throughout the whole movie is oh oppenheimer is so self-centered he only cares about himself like it's all his he he's only doing this for all of his public image so that he can cast himself as this like nuclear martyr this atomic saints this guy who gets to be the miserable like guy who's carrying the cross but he also like is the whole reason the cross exists in the first place um and uh like you know one could say that the i become death destroyer of worlds line is the culmination of his egoism that he is like he's comparing himself to the greatest natural force uh other than life that human beings like know or come into contact with but instead we're brought it recontextualizes the line because it's he it's said a random line that he a woman that he loved deeply um had him read during during an incredibly yeah during an incredibly intimate night and evening with her um who he lost because of his self-interest in that and way because they makes... were taking out communists and because we had to get rid of the reds that's right but in that way it makes that line like a truly like a, a a an incredibly tragic recognition of his own ego and that he's like a prisoner and almost like I, a slave to it. I did think one of the best, like going in, I'd heard like, oh, Oppenheimer was an asshole, like, and it's glorifying him. Uh, I heard mm. like, oh, it's he's he's a hero. They make him a hero in the movie. I think the movie did a really good job of balancing the, the here is the father of the atomic bomb who is trying to write the course, and they're going to make the bomb without me, with or without me. So I might as well be with me so I can try and keep it from destroying the planet. And the self-centered, egocentric, I am the coolest guy, best guy ever. Like, I thought they did a really good job of balancing those two things to show that it, like, it's just a complex human being in a very complex world scenario. Like, he's not good or bad. He just is. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's incredibly well said. Now, I Einstein was a like, hero. Really well said. But Einstein, Einstein was also not a hero. I'm pretty sure Einstein was a womanizer. <laughs> was he really? Yeah. He had a wife. He, oh, I guess they all had wives. I guess Oppenheimer had a wife. Um, what? That's and that's my question too. Is like, wh- what I is it about theoretical physics that gets the babes? 
Uh, dude, it's it's like, well, they're basically just like uh, it's like art. Like it's just you got to find the right people, and they like the fact that you know how to build shit. Or that like, was the whole point. Though Oppenheimer didn't. <laughs> he was well, like, you I can know, talk. I don't know math. I can't build shit. You can talk with some authority. It's hard when yeah. you know a lot about art because there's like meaningful stuff in art, but it's very like it, it's a very sort of like quiet and intuitive soft power expression about life. Whereas like something with science is much more physical and tactile and immediate. You know, there's something really present about it that that doesn't really exist in any other in any other discipline so it's it's attractive because it's a very confident solid position um if you're a man like that yeah uh so barbie what was i yes barbie what do you think i loved it i want to say it out loud i i said out loud all right to my stepsister when we were when this was the one I saw first. I saw Barbie yeah. at 11 in the morning, which I thought was the perfect time to see it. Like, fresh. I felt great. I had my popcorn and my soda and my M&M's, or my lemonade and my M&M's. And I, I loved this movie. This movie was much simultaneously much more generic and also about as like quirky or metafictional as i expected it to be but i thought it knew exactly what it was exactly what it had to be and it played it to a t uh i'm gonna borrow from my stepsister again she said that uh barbie was like the perfect pg-13 movie and i have to agree with her um it has some like raunchy uh you know parts and jokes and stuff like that um but it also has like great it, it's fun and it feels like it was made by somebody with a very youthful with a very youthful spirit and an attachment to kind of like a genuinely young sensibility about the world Do you... and that was really fun uh do you think it would be as funny if you watched it again? Uh, I, I think so. I think so. I, I, I think it would from be lived experience. Really? So you've seen yeah. it twice now. Yeah. Okay. I saw it last Friday again. Uh, like a bunch of people from work went, I, there were some things that were as like, that were humorous, right? Some things I still chuckled at, but mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff that was funny the first time, I don't know if it was the audience or what, but people weren't laughing. Like, well, yeah. Well, what did you think about it the first time you saw it? Just to give context. I, saw, I thought it was hilarious. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of the jokes just took me off guard because I wasn't sure what to expect. So the jokes mm-hmm. they made, I wasn't expecting it. I thought it was fucking hilarious. And then, but as for like the message of the movie, I felt like it was like a few years behind. And I finally figured it out when I saw it the second time that like, I swear the like big monologue about the contradictions in womanhood. Mm-hmm. I read that on Tumblr five to 10 years ago. Yeah. I can see that being a sticking point for a lot of people in the movie. Um, yeah. Say more, I guess. Um, 
So, like, say more about what? What do you want to hear more about? I guess about that monologue. I mean, about the monologue, so like, or even just about the the movie. Your first impression of the, it? Again, my first impression thought it was hilarious. I thought the the like the opening. I thought that was just an advertisement that they did. I didn't realize that was going to be the opening of the movie. So I cracked up at that, and from there it just yeah. kept going. Um. Yeah. And there was oh, I'm trying to remember. Uh, at some point, like Barbie mentions fascism. And I leaned over to mm-hmm. one of the guys I went because who went to both movies with me. I was like, man, I didn't realize I was getting a double dose of fascism today. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah, brother. Hell yeah. But going back to like the monologue, it's like, it, I'm not saying the monologue is wrong. And I'm not saying that there aren't, it's not relevant. And I'm not saying there aren't people who still need to hear it. It just kind of was like, okay. You're, it, it felt like it under, I feel like the monologue and the way they deprogrammed all the Barbies after Ken introduced patriarchy was kind of shitting on the intelligence of the Barbies. Where it's like, oh, so. all right, well, the whole point is that like, oh, Barbie can be anything. Uh, Barbie can be a doctor or a lawyer or the president or the Supreme Court. And they did this trial scene at the beginning where the lawyer Barbie was like, uh, this is why corporations aren't people and I can have feelings and express logic and do both at the same time. And it doesn't lessen me. And it's like, that's cool. Great. You're, you're all supposed to be these intelligent individuals. So you theoretically should have fought back a little bit more on the idea of like, Oh yeah, I should just be a piece of me. In, in their defense, uh, the the movie does have that. It, it is it is kind of a throwaway line about the idea that uh, that they have no because defense of, because they've never been exposed to it. They have no like psychological immunity to yes because that's how logic works. Yeah. Well, it's just like I mean, and that's like a throwaway. That's like yeah. movie logic. Like I, I know like the line was there. They got the movie logic for it, but it was like it's, it feels reductive. Of it like, does. Are they? So then, like. Do the Barbies, are the Barbies really that empowering then? And are they really that like, are they really that great off if, because part of Margot Robbie, like stereotypical Barbie's whole thing was like, oh, I thought we fixed like feminism and everything was great for everybody. It's like, okay, you didn't. And that's part of the whole movie is that you didn't fix it. It's not great. And we're just going to go back to believing it's all great. Like, we're going to leave the Barbies in Barbie land delusional about the state of the outside world, and Margot Robbie's Barbie is just going to go off and live. I I think, like, I, I have I have a defense for this that I was actually Please. thinking of. Do you mind if I... Please. So, I, I want to hear some discourse. I, I agree with you where it does. It reads as somewhat stale, and it also reads as a little bit, like, backhanded because they even, like... It's. I thought it was really interesting, and this is like I, I will say I've seen some pieces of discourse where it's like, of course, like this is a movie aimed towards women, but the first thing men have to go and do is make it about themselves, and it's like I promise you, I apologize, like I, anyone who's listening, I'm trying, I'm trying not to do that. I am trying to hold the logic and feeling in both hands. I'm trying to walk down the center aisle here. So, um, I will say I thought it was very interesting because. Right. Like 
one, I agree with you really as a quick tangent. My eyes actually watered a little bit when the Barbie, when like that after the minute, uh, that opening sequence, and it goes from the very like, you know, like very kind of stereotypical, but still very somewhat dramatic uh, 2001 ripoff. Um, <laughs> it was so funny. Yeah, that little homage, which is funny because it's, it's a bunch of little girls who look very plain and it's about them learning for the first time to see themselves as anything the ideal as as anything as any anyone who as someone who can be anything anything, which is like i don't don't know if this is intentional but if you notice like the very first thing that gets smashed on the baby dolls is their heads like their minds are blown um (laughs) i didn't realize that I don't I don't know if that's like an intentional piece, but I thought just as a little coincidence, that's funny. And when it immediately just flips to the very like glamorous, like disco sting with the Barbie logo, my eyes watered. I'm like, that's exactly in less than a minute. That's exactly what a movie is. Yeah. It's like dramatic and goofy and glamorous and and a little philosophical. And it's just great. Um, but it's interesting because the the Barbie world is shown as like it's very it's perfect it's awesome it's great but it's like the the men are sidelined they are all the same and they that's they actually, do real quick that's one of those things they never answer is they're like the Ken where do the Kens go at night they never yeah. answer that so presumably <laughs> the Kens are all just like sleeping on the beach <laughs> just standing well, around I- waiting. But that's the funny part because Barbie land in that opening is a feminist paradise. All women of all types are accepted and celebrated. They hold all positions of power, but it's still a society that marginalizes people and not even just people of the opposite gender, but people who are simply different. They have a a designated area where no one goes, where they have someone who they call both behind her back and to her face, ugly Barbie stay someone who is like, yeah, weird Barbie. That's it. And like, yeah, it's like, uh, they, 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 they made her, uh, like a pariah. Um, and it's like, it's shown that like, even in this perfect world that is run entirely by women, there are these undercurrents of, okay, something is not right here. Like there are, there's still exclusion. It's not totally balanced. Um, now, obviously then when they end up going to the real world, it's interesting. If you notice like the first shot that we see is literally, it is right behind Margot Robbie. It is like tight on her ass. It's like right there. And we, we are told immediately because that is a very like borrowing from, uh, kind of gendered film talk here, borrowing from that. That's a very male gaze shot where that, that it's like the first image we see almost of her. Um, and we know that, okay, now we're in a world where it's, it's men who are the whole thing, not just running the world, but their perception is, is what matters. Um, and I think like, coming coming you know ken comes back he brings like the idea of like patriarchy which is distilled into very simple iconographic forms like beer and horses and big trucks and basically making women like second-class citizens and all that stuff and like you said the barbies eventually trick the kens um to sort of like give up all this power and return but 
excuse me, um, it's very interesting because even though the human world is clearly still imperfect and the Barbie world is perfect in its own way, but still a little imperfect because they're still making jokes like, oh, yeah, like women are like now occupy us again, all the key positions of power and maybe men will one day get like a shot at doing something real. Um, they get a lower which judge is, and they get to wear a robe. Yeah. The, yeah. Um, and it's interesting though, because the two characters who represent the, the two genders, like, or the two like groups, um, men and women like Ken and Barbie are self-actualized. Um, like Barbie is fully realized, not just as a, an idea, but a person. And Ken is actualized as like an individual with his own identity. Um, though the other Kens and the Barbies may be in varying stages of this, they are not necessarily the same as they were before. Some progress has been made, even if there's still some more to make. And that's why I think almost like that monologue that America Ferreira has is like, I think in a way, and I could be wrong it's almost supposed to read as a little stale. It's supposed to read as a little unsatisfying and incomplete and a relic from something older because that's what it is. Hmm. That there is, there is truth in that monologue. There is truth in what she says, but the place that it brings you back to or the place you want to go back to is not as perfect as what you thought it was even if it really was a nice place to be. So you will ultimately end up somewhere a little bit messier, but it will be just slightly better than the place that you were in before, even if the place that you were in before was quote unquote perfect. And there's even the, her teenage daughter even has the line, like it's not about, it, she has some line and I'm paraphrasing where it's, she basically says like, it's not about like whether or not we can make it perfect. It's just about trying to make it a little better, like at least trying to make it better. So I think ultimately the movie is supposed to be like it is supposed to to start very simplistically and cartoonishly. Um, and it is supposed to kind of unravel as the characters like self-actualize. And I'm not that's not a catch all. Like I still think some parts of the movie are sloppy and could use like tweaking here and there. I think sometimes yeah. it's a little bit too self-referential or tongue in cheek for its own good. And I do think there are some elements of it that are a little bit stale from a discourse sense, but overall I think it's actually like a really well-made film. I definitely don't think um, it's a bad movie. I'm just gonna throw that out there. It's not, it's, it's yeah. And it's, it's not. And I, I thought it was, is infinitely more fun and colorful and sort of alive than Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer is like this beautiful cold stone statue. Barbie is like a movie. It is like a like a living, breathing, modern thing. So, how's that for uh, discourse? Uh, that's a lot of discourse. That is. I apologize. Um. I I I, do, I I know I just talked a lot. I do just want to say one more thing. Yeah. I want to. I'm going to Ken Ken on the beach with a guitar. You for just a little bit longer. I I will say, I could have used much like an Oppenheimer. I could have used a scene in Barbie where it's just them hanging out. I did not feel well, like we really got. That was kind of supposed to be that, that first day, though, wasn't it? It that but that's like very like like 
Like, it, it was does, establishing, it's... but it was supposed to be like, oh, this is an average perfect day. Like, this is the same day over and over and over again for the 90% of it. I, I think, like, at that point, though, you're still, you're, you're like, you're, you're overstimulated because you're bringing in all this new information. You're, like, trying, you're seeing all this new stuff. You're right. It is very, like, it's got this, like, hangout day feel to it. But, like, I could have used, like, Barbie and Ken in the real world and they go eat at, like, a bar or, like, or, or a restaurant or, like, oh, that was they never go and sit somewhere. They, don't get they like, uh, but just like just like they they go somewhere and they just like hang out just for a little bit and like talk or maybe like no. s- some something somewhere i would have liked something like that i i you were never gonna I, get it though i i think though that you could still no. like <laughs> so, but here's the problem I, I, with that the okay. problem with having like a barbie can go hang out somewhere in the real world scene is it implies they are equals that they want to like spend any amount of time together. The only reason Ken is in the real world at all is because he sneaks into the car, surprises Barbie, and begs to go with. And Barbie's like, "Okay, fine." And then once they get to the real world, Barbie's just like, "Just go, get get the fuck out, like get out of my way so I can concentrate." Mm-hmm. And she's not like, I mean, she's a little rude about it, but like Ken's being a dick at the same time, so it's not like Ken doesn't deserve it. But it is that like, in order for them to go like just sit somewhere and talk or get a meal. They have to be willing to meet each other as equals. Ken is desperate for attention and Barbie doesn't like, he's a friend. Great. I, I like, he's, he's a friend of the same way. Somebody that you talk to like once a week at work as a friend. Yeah. It, but he, I say even because I say because of that relationship, like to see Ken, for instance, after he's like read all this stuff about patriarchy, and this would maybe give him motivation going back to Barbie Land. Like, like it. What if they go to like an ice cream store? What if they go like to to like an ice cream shop, and be, because it like they mistake it because it looks like something very colorful and fun out of Barbie Land, but it's just like one of those regular outdoor ice cream places. They try ice cream for the first time, but the first time both of them truly taste something and ken at that moment he tries like they're hanging out they're talking maybe he tries like a little bit of like a patriarchy thing or just after that scene he tries but like i'm saying just like a hangout where we get to see these characters they don't have to like vibe and chill but just interact without the mechanism of plot really being involved almost at all I, I, i i i seriously disagree that i don't think that scene works like I, I, I just don't see it functioning in any way. I think it. I think it could. I think you need it be a like fun I scene to have. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think it fits in the movie. I will just like I will always lobby. I will always lobby for it. Doesn't have to be something like that, but I just think like because that again that was my biggest thing with the two movies was they were very like plot driven and i i like that like i don't mind it and you need a good plot to keep things moving forward i just think like i i don't feel like i really got to sit with these characters in either film and see them for a moment 
without without the lens of the story sort of coming in and out like i would have loved to have that experience and i I think those scenes in movies are like critical and they're often ones that people reflect very fondly on one of the one of the biggest blockbuster scenes that is like quoted over and over and over again and cited as like a wonderful portrait of filmmaking and acting and writing is the scene in jaws where all the, they're all just hanging out telling stories about the scars they've gotten and there's nothing to do with the plot there the 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 shark makes one minor little appearance and it is literally in the barrels that blink in and out of the frame as it's like swimming past and there there's nothing to do with the overall movie really in that scene you find out about quinn's motivation for hunting the shark but it's told in a way where it's just like this guy it doesn't start that way and like i'm saying like for these movies to have a scene like that where the movie slows down and takes a break and we get to sit and we get to be after having been in it for a little while I think that's like so critical. Cause what about it, the scene where Barbie's sitting on the bench watching the park? I I like you're you're talking about like seeing all the uh the all the people like hang yeah. out and stuff like that. That that is like a that's like a small taste. Like I, I will say that you're you're like you're right on that where it's like that's like close. The the issue is is just like i think it i think that type of scene requires a little bit of interaction like it requires some kind like of how she talks like to the old woman on the bench like i just it, we need like i don't know how to describe it we need two characters we need two or more characters that we've seen hanging out before um i'm sorry my that's, dogs are going like that's crazy that's the problem barbie and ken don't hang out like, even, even in the sense of, like, oh, like, I, I, I get what you mean by, like, oh, just characters that share the screen, but the, an Oppenheimer, I could see it. I could absolutely see where you just get some characters sitting in a room talking. They're just existing. They're just there. No plot. Uh, I think a couple of the times Oppenheimer's just talking to people at parties and stuff kind of is part of that, even though it's still furthering the, like, oh, he's a womanizing cheater and, mm-hmm. the, like, the communist aspects, but, like, at least with, even though the plot was pushing on those, it still was the scene of like, he's at the, he's just talking to his friends when he came to drop the baby off. And the friend is like, Hey, if you want to get some research out of America, but like in and around it, it's just like, Oh, we're just sitting, chatting, talking. Or when he's at the, like, just talk, like I could see him just talking with the students in his class or the scientists at Los Alamos or, any of that or like when they go horse riding and they go up into the mountains and they just enjoy the views like i could see oppenheimer having that i just don't see barbie getting that because none of the characters have any amount of depth to do so and the ones that do have the depth don't have the depth to just have a scene like that Mm. at most okay I, i i think i could see it but it wouldn't be Ken. It would be Barbie, the mom, and the kid. Okay. That's what I think would work. Like, if the Barbie mom and kid went to an ice cream store as, like, a, okay, we're going to hide here for a minute, and the Barbie tries ice cream. 
Yeah, that'd be fun, really cute. I like, can totally see that. They okay. take like a yeah. five minute break. They yeah. got out from under the guys. They're gonna go plan, but like before they figure out what their plan is, they like just go to the ice cream store, they get some ice cream, and like they sit down, and you have the scene of like them going in, ordering your ice cream, sit down at the table, they get it, Barbie tries it, and it's like, oh, surprised, and enjoys it, or doesn't like it, it's too sweet or too cold, or, like, wrong flavor, and then it moves on from there. I like that. I actually like that a lot. The problem wasn't the scene, the problem was the characters. Was Ken, yeah, I think you're right. I did love, what did you think about Brian Gosling as Ken? He was great. I thought Ken was great. <laughs> I thought the whole, like, patriarchy thing was pretty good. I loved, oh my god, I absolutely loved Alan. Absolutely loved Michael oh, Sarah's yeah. Alan. He was great. Yeah. I, I related so much to Alan. Of like, hey, I'm here. Uh, uh, there are no duplicates of Alan. Yeah, that's, I'm wondering about that. <laughs> <laughs> All of InSync is Alan. Yes, even that one. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, um, I thought the, I was torn on the one mm-hmm. hand, like uh, not super torn, like obviously patriarchy, like patriarchy, matriarchy, either way, it just doesn't work. Um, mm-hmm. so obviously like the Kens bring the patriarchy into Barbie land was not good. It was bad. They should not have done that. But a lot of the... I connected a little... This is revealing more about myself than I probably want to, but I connected a little bit too much to the whole, like... Hi, Ken really just wants someone to, like, pay attention to him and care about him. He's got his bros. Yeah. That's great. But, like... Come on. (laughs) And, like, obviously he's obsessing over Barbie, who doesn't want him, and I think plenty of people out there have that same lived experience, particularly guys of like getting way too invested into a girl who is not giving you the time of day. And you just don't understand why. And it's like, well, dude, she's just not into you. Like you're, can, you're Ken enough. It's nothing to do with you. She's just not interested. Mm-hmm. And they, they did my, they did my song match push by matchbox 20 wrong. I was like, all right, you get, you pick that one. Which, which, was that the one at the dance number? No, that's that the one that, that they one? did around the fire. Okay. That's, that's that song. And I was like, I, I like that song. Why'd you do this to me? Oh, uh, damn. You're calling you out. I, but I, I think to, to attest to your point, I think you're, I think you're right. Like, I think that's, um, that's a sort of, uh, a common feeling for a lot of young men especially and i i think i agree um i will say that i agree with the with the movie's sort of thesis statement on it which is that like a lot of young men are actually looking for um Ken's affection is everywhere he loves barbie but he's also drawn to so many so many other things just as easily in some way. He's wandering around like all the time. Is it his attention is everywhere. And he does ultimate all for him all roads do lead back to Barbie. Um, but he's also clearly like uh distracted in some ways. Um and I think basically the film's statement on like uh the idea that like young men often fall in love with like uh ideas of things. Um, the idea that somebody is in love with them or the idea of somebody 
um, instead of like the person themselves uh, is, is sort of uh, because in that way, that's almost like you're, you are falling in love with yourself in how you see the world or in how you see somebody you're not actually falling in, in love because it requires, you know, kind of, that's a two, that's a two, two partner, two person thing. Um, so first you do not to be hokey. You do have to fall in love with yourself. You have to recognize yourself as an individual, um, so that you can properly love somebody in turn. And I do think that the movie pointing out that like, Hey, like, when stories sometimes have people getting the girl, that is like an easy solution to all uh, their problems. not all their problems. Like, and it doesn't, that doesn't stop. Like you don't stop being you ever. Yeah. And if you can't, you is an indefinable feeling. There's no word for it really almost other than your name. I did appreciate you, that where it's like Ken's trying to figure out what he is and he's like, Beach? No, not Beach. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right, right? He goes, first he tries Barbie, then he tries his like profession, right? You know, and it's, you gotta be You're you yourself. Thing. You are. And like, I do agree with you though where it's like, I would like to see almost, uh, this movie is sort of a bridge between two eras i would like to see the movie that follows after because i think there is such a thing where you you can make a story that follows these these characters on a journey of self-discovery and realization from kind of very one-dimensional cartoonish figures to fully realized human beings but just because you're fully realized like i do believe there are moments where like going through that kind of adventure together and and pushing pulling each other apart essentially that reveals that can reveal like a bond that is what we would call like love and it's incredibly strong and incredibly powerful and it is forever enduring and to see a story where someone like ken and barbie um where these two characters would fall in love together but where it's earned that would be remarkable to see told and done well you'd have to do it very well um, but I think for now, Barbie's Barbie's ending for me was like, I, I understood what they were saying, even if it was a little sort of like a film student. Um, can, can I ask really quick, what do you think about the, uh, the both the dance number and the fight scene? I thought the dance number fight scene was the best. I thought that was Did fantastic. Really? I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> I loved the yeah. like, chest just boom knocking people over just by the sheer look of his chest. Um, (laughs) I thought the dance scene was fantastic. And I thought it really was, I think part of it too goes back. And this is just, I mean, you, you apply yourself to everything you take in when it comes to art and literature and film and all that stuff. You, you put your lens on it, but it, it just really reinforced for me the like, he really does just want like, he, he, he needs to figure out who he is, but he's got his bros. He's got his guys who back him up. Mm-hmm. They're all trying to support and help each other. It's not the healthiest. So, I don't know. But I like the the dance fight scene was absolutely fantastic. 
I thought uh, I thought all those supporting actors in Barbie did such a good job for all the all the Kens and all the Barbies. I thought it was they each one like it really did feel it sounds bad, but they really did feel like dolls like they were there's something very similar about them. But I also felt like there was something singularly distinct. I, I really appreciated all their all their performances. I thought they I thought they did a great job. Yeah, they definitely did all distinct it out. I loved Simu Liu's Ken. He was great. <laughs> he was. I can't... I, hey, Ken, can you do this? Wham! Does the flip. <laughs> Which is how he got the job. I think I remember reading like, really? some interview thing or something where he's like, yeah, they... Oh, no, 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 that's what it was. It's not how he got the job, but they were doing the choreography. And he was talking to the choreographers, and he's like, hey, like, I, I can do, like, flips and stuff. Would, is that something we'd want? Like, cause we're, cause Ken has this rival, like the two Kens have this rivalry mm-hmm. and they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll, yeah, we can do that. We'll, we'll make that happen. It's just, it's so funny. It's so, I had no idea. I did not know that that was how he got hired. That's it's, cool. Again, not, I don't think it's how he got hired. Just that like once he got hired and they had oh, the okay. Ken rivalry going, they're like, oh, yeah, like, I can do this. I could actually, I could do the flip if you want, if you guys want that. <laughs> uh, I, I will say too, I thought it was really funny how in the sequence where all the Barbies are um, deprogramming each other, like what the Kens were talking about was very like specific niche, highly detailed, like descriptions of all their interests or whatever whether it's like cars or film or yeah. music you know it's it, it, that that to me that was written that was written by uh because it was written by both Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach who they're both filmmakers and they made they made movies independent movies together and their husband and wife um and uh you can tell that that was written by people who grew up around like art student types and just it's a very it's it's little hyper polished and detailed gems like that that i think really make the movie just um something kind of special i don't know yeah i i was genuinely glad that when i did when i saw both of them with my stepsister it was a great day when we went saw barbie first then we took about an hour two hour break where we had Oppenheimer's, we got lunch, we walked around this, the, the strip mall um, and just kind of hung out. Um, it was great. I, I have not walked out of a theater more like zonked out because like five hours of movies like that is mm-hmm. insane, but so worth it. And I have not walked out of a movie theater feeling like wow like yes like movies like people like ah uh, it felt great it felt it felt wonderful and i love both of them as i will say until i die truly uh america's two genders <laughs> barbie and oppenheimer the yin and yang of our culture yeah and yet somehow they're both thoughts? and yet somehow they're both what about you, my man? Any final thoughts? We've been going for almost an hour and 15 minutes. 
I know. That's why I'm trying to wrap up. What do you think? I of... think I can't wait to see what the next set is. <laughs> well said. Um. <sighs> It's the time for Sleepy Buddies to call it a night. I think it's about time for the Sleepy Buddies to call it a night. Oh, heck yeah, my man. Thank you for joining. It was wonderful. Thank you to the band Problem of Interest for letting us use the song Living in the Moment off the album Cross Off Yesterday. You can find them on iTunes and Spotify. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are sold. Please leave reviews and share the episodes. You can share them on social media. Our Facebook is Better Buddies, where we have our meme Mondays. Our Twitter is, or sorry, our X account is at Better Budcast. Use the hashtag Better Buddies when you tweet about the show. Also, why didn't Twitter just go to the hashtag as their name instead of X? Uh, and our Gmail account is betterbuddiescast at gmail.com. You can send us fan art, hate art, fan mail, hate mail, declarations of love and or war, icebreakers you want us to answer, questions you need advice on. If we get to 100 downloads on a single episode, we're going to review chewing gum. So help us get there. Share the episodes around. And last but not least, be a better buddy. Oh my god. This is gonna this is gonna be a sleepy time. Uh this is gonna be a sleepy time, better buddies. This is gonna be a little, it's sleepy little time, drowsy. Buddies. Little it's a sleepy time, buddies. This is the drowsy, this is a town all PM. Drowsy the Pokemon motherfucking uh uh NyQuil NyQuil edition. Hell yeah. Well let's let's better get buddies. it started so that we can get you to bed. Oh, thank you, sir. Better Buddies at night. All right. Better Buddies nights. Where we That's bring it. you all the salacious advice you didn't get in the original episode. Hell yeah. Hell is yeah. Is it getting a little hot in here, or is that just your faulty air conditioning? <laughs> <laughs>